0: Hello, my name is Ben Jenkins and welcome to another episode of the New Grad Radio podcast. The podcast following the experiences of a new graduate nurse, starting into the intensive care unit. So at the beginning of each shift, as I've just explained in the last two-part little series, um, where I've gone through a case-based scenario based on a patient, um, after you've taken handover, one of the first things that you do is you're going to be performing a few safety checks. Now, sometimes these can occur before the handover as you've walked in the room and had a look around. Um, but I guess I'll break down today um, the routine in which I do when I'm performing these safety checks. It's, uh, and when I say routine, it, it is very, very important. The same way in which you're performing head-to-toe assessments, um, it really is developing the same routine to be doing it time after time after time to make sure it just becomes autonomous so you don't miss anything. So today's episode, I'm going to be breaking it down piece by piece about what safety checks I'm doing, uh, but also explaining why I'm doing it. So before I do anything, I always want to make sure the number one safety check is to make sure I have the right patient. Um, So what I'm doing is I'm going straight up to the patient, I'm looking at their wristband, Um, I'm looking at uh, if they have at least two wristbands on the patient um, and that it's got the correct name and the UR number Uh, and looking at uh, if it's a red or a white band, a red indicating that they have allergies and a white uh, saying that they do not have any allergies Um, When I first sort of come on, uh, before I do anything anyway and really take hand over, I log myself into the system and I acknowledge and have a look at if the patient has any allergies and I acknowledge it on the system and I go over to the patient to make sure they have the correct coloured wristband. I also go up to the the monitor as well and it will make sure that the patient's details are specific onto the monitor as well. So the routine of the safety check is going to be following a U-shape around the each of the walls of the of the bed space itself so to start with I'm going to be going over and checking the wet pendant now the wet pendant is a uh, sort of like a hanging table I guess is the easiest way of explaining it and it's attached to a hydraulic system to the roof so you can move it sort of back and forward and around uh, where you need to Uh, and the point of a wet pendant so not only does it is used as sort of like a little tiny mini workstation for which you can stick stuff on, um, but it also has a drawer and it also has oxygen and suction attached to the wall as well. So when it comes to my checks, so I, one of the first, or sorry, the first thing I'm going to do is I've opened up the drawer and I look inside to see if there's adequate equipment inside. So what there should be um, is going to have uh, sterile gloves, Y-suctions still within their sterile uh, wrappings. You'll have um, the OPA, so the Oropharyngeal Airway, otherwise known as a Goodell Airway. So I'm measuring that against the corner of the mouth at the angle of draw of the patient. So just in case I would need to use it, that it's there at the correct size. Also check the Aramine uh, medication that we always keep at the bed sp- into the wet pendant um, to make sure that it's within normal date. Uh, and that it is the correct medication um, and that it's also got something to draw it up with if I need to if I need to administer because of a uh, huge drop in blood pressure um, so I've got a 10 ml syringe and a uh, sharp needle in there to be able to draw it up with I've also got uh, never remember the name of it but there's a a piece of equipment which we attach to the endotracheal tube uh, to the pilot sort of tube area to make sure that the endotracheal tube cuff is blown up to the correct pressure so I'll do that at that time as well to make sure it's within normal pressure for my patient if they're intubated Um, So that is correct. And usually in there as well, you'll have a a pen light as well as an auxiliar temperature probe. So I've made sure that there's the equipment I need inside the wet pendant. On top as well, I make sure that the oxygen is currently uh, functioning correctly. So I'll turn them on and off. Uh, One of the oxygens is attached to my bag valve mask. So what I do is I take off the bag valve mask, which is clipped to the side of the wet pendant. So I unclip it which is still connected with the red tubing up into the, the oxygen itself. I'll take off the mask component, the bag valve mask. I'll measure it against the face of my patient uh, to make sure that it's not too big or too small, that it's gonna get a good seal if I will need to use it in an emergency situation. i put that up onto my wet pendant. Um, I cover the top of the bag valve mask with the palm of my hand, and I turn the oxygen up to 15 liters per minute and I watch to see if the, the bag at the end of the bag valve mask is filling up with oxygen. Uh, if it is, it means that I've got a good seal. I then like to gently squeeze the bag valve mask body itself uh, to make sure that it's not deflating uh, when I have uh, my palm pressed against it. It means that there is a correct seal uh, if, it, if it isn't able to be squeezed, um, which is excellent. So I've checked my bag valve mask and it's functional if I need to use it. I also check the suction as well. So usually there's two suctions. So I check the first one, uh, which is functioning correctly. I check the second one, which is usually attached to my um, Yanka sucker, which then attaches to a collection chamber at the back of the of the wet pendant as well. So I've checked that one as well, and that's functioning with the normal as well. Uh, so now that I've checked the wet pendant, uh, I then uh, grab what we call a spirit level. I've tried to explain this one a few times. I don't know how well I'm explaining it. Um, but the spirit level is checking the height of the um, arterial line to the transducer. I'll talk about this in another episode for, specifically for arterial lines, but I'm measuring using the spirit level from the phlebostatic axis to the height of the transducer to make sure that they're level, which is going to give me an accurate blood pressure reading by the arterial line. So I've checked that at that point as well. Uh, I then go and I put the spirit level back on and then I go across the side to check the spare oxygen bottle. So I turn it on, I look at the Lutonic gauge uh, and make sure that there's enough oxygen. Uh, so I like to keep it usually within the green zone or just below uh, and also use the suction and see if the suction is working on it as well. I then turn it off and I purge it. Um, so then I've checked the oxygen bottle, which is excellent. So now I'll be facing, uh, I'll be, my back will be against the back wall facing uh, the back of the Christmas tree itself which is now also facing the, the entrance of the bed space itself. Um, so what I'll do is I'll grab the, the Christmas tree and I'll pull it to a side so now I'm able to access the front of the Christmas tree. Um, so I'm here, So I'm standing between the Christmas tree and the head of the bed of the patient. And what I'm doing now is I'm checking the medications. Uh, so I'm looking at the pumps uh, and making sure that the medication is going to the pump, which is then will be going to the patient. Uh, and what I'm looking at with it I'm checking all of the rights of administration. Um, so I'm making sure that it's, uh, the, the medication has been signed and it's within date, uh, within 24 hour period. Um, i'll then go through a little bit later to talk about exactly where that the line is running to but i'm pretty much looking at this point to see uh how much time is remaining on these medications and if they've been double signed and all that sort of stuff so excellent i've checked the medications i'm then standing uh, behind another one of the dependents at the back uh, and usually there's another oxygen um or suction device attached to the back so I've uh, tested that, and that one is working correctly as well. Uh, So now I'm coming up, and I'll be looking at my monitor. So I'll be checking my monitor to start with. So these next two phases, I'm checking the monitor and the ventilator. And the reason I'm doing this is to check my alarm parameters. Um, So each patient, so as I've sort of mentioned a few times in a few different episodes, uh, not all patients within the intensive care unit have... um, their vital signs within normal limits. Um, So uh, it just means that we need to be modifying our alarm parameters so that they're not alarming every two seconds, because the point of alarms is to be notifying us of something different, that their vital signs are heading outside of the limits that we want them to be. So they're a safety measure for us as nurses uh, and other nurses around us to make sure that we're always keeping an eye on this patient. Um, so what I'm checking for on my monitor, so let's go through it. So I'll be checking, um, looking at my heart rate. So the heart rate of the patient, um, I'm making sure that the, the vital signs at the beginning of my shift, I'm trying to keep my vital signs as what we call tight as possible. So I don't want my, if, if the patient's normally heart rate has been sitting at, let's just say 70 to 80 beats per minute, I don't want my high parameter to be 130 beats per minute. To go from 80 to 130 is a bloody big difference, is a a big sort of jump. Um, So what I'll do, if they've been sitting at 80, so 70 to 80, I might set my high limit to 100 beats per minute. Um, And so it's been sitting 70 to 80, and then the other side of things, I don't want my low limit to be 35 beats per minute. So I'll put that up to be about 60. So I'm sitting at normal parameters from 60 to 100 beats per minute, and I can modify that if I need to, if something is changing over time. Um, but then I'm also looking at my trace of, my, uh, of the ECG itself, and I'm making sure that all my alarm settings are turned on. So sometimes if patients, for example, are in atrial fibrillation, uh, there's a setting on there to say on or off for, uh, it will notify you if the rhythm is irregular. Um, now for someone who's, on, who's got AF, and we know that they have AF, um, sometimes you may turn that one off, because otherwise it will literally just be alarming every two seconds. Um, but for a patient who's been sitting in a normal sinus rhythm, uh, all alarms should be turned on. Uh, I'll then have a look at blood pressure. Uh, so the, most of the time we're going to be measuring a, uh, a MAP rather than a systolic blood pressure. But again, this will change if we're measuring it for someone with a traumatic brain injury. We're mostly going off of um, systolic readings then. So I'm making sure that the way in which we're measuring it with the arterial line uh, is going to be right for the particular patient. Um, and I'm making sure that again just like my heart rate um, uh, the heart rate settings were tight I like to do the same for my blood pressure so I'm judging it based upon my my patient at that point I'll also do the same thing for my oxygen saturations for the patient so making sure that the SATs so there's going to be a high limit, there's a low limit and then there's also for oxygen saturations a critical low as well so I usually like to stick. If the patient's normally between, let's just say the normal patients between 96 and 98%, I'll keep my high reading at 100% because that's it doesn't really there is no real high limit for for that. Uh, but the low limit I'll probably stick at uh, 92%, uh, and then my critical low will be about 88%. Um, so I'll know <laughs> definitely if they're starting to desat. Um, yeah, that's usually the, the monitor, and I'm sure they've probably missed a couple there, but that's that's mostly the the ones. And then, oh, also, my apologies, they'll also have n CO2. So we use n if the patient is uh, is ventilated by the ventilator. Uh, and what we do is, again, normal limits for n is 35 to 45. Um, and again, I'll keep them nice and tight to start with. But the reason we keep n alarms on is to make sure that the it's a way of determining if the end uh, if the ETT is still in place uh if if the signal was to suddenly just disappear uh it could mean that the ET uh, tube has been dislodged uh, so therefore we have an airway emergency so always make sure that those entitled CO2 alarm parameters are, are flicked on um and temperature as well. So uh, usually temperature for a lot of patients in the ICU is measured by a, an adapter, which connects onto directly onto the catheter, uh, and we're able to set a high and low limits for temperature on there as well. So again, I guess the moral of the story of why I'm talking through all this is to make sure that all my alarm parameters to start with are all set very tight. But if they were to keep alarming all the time, I'm always able to modify it from there. But better be safe from the start than sorry. Next i work down to the ventilator itself. So I've had a look at the mode of ventilation, which I've talked about in the, one of the last episodes with that case-based scenario. So I'm looking to see if they're ventilated via uh, you know, pressure support, pressure control, or volume control mode of ventilation. Um, and depending on which mode I'm on will really be making sure uh, that my alarm parameters are, are set accordingly um, so let's just say for example that my patient is on pressure support mode of ventilation uh, so the patient is doing a lot of the breath themselves I want to make sure that my alarm parameters especially for that is going to be set within very tight parameters when I start my shift. So with pressure support mode of ventilation, the patient is determining the respiratory rate and the tidal volume. So for that, I wanna make sure that my rate and volume parameters and my minute ventilation are going to be set very close. Um, so I'm looking at respiratory rate. Let's just say my patient has been breathing at a rate of 15 to 20 breaths per minute. I'd probably set my high rate at probably 30 breaths per minute and my low rate at probably 10. Um, so it's very close. Um, And for volume, it's not so much to do with high volumes that you want it to alarm for, but it's really about low volumes. So if we've normally been breathing at 500 or 600 mils, uh, I'll probably set the low volume down to about 400 mils. Uh, and if it keeps ringing, because it keeps going down low, I may lower it, but then we've got to figure out why has the, the tidal volumes gone down low? And I guess that's the moral of the story about all of these alarm parameters. It's one thing to set it, and if they're going off, they're going off for a reason. They're not necessarily just going off, so you just keep lowering it or keep increasing it. It's trying to tell you something. So have a think about the, what your patient is in here for, uh, and not just silence it or change the, the alarm parameters just because it's starting to annoy you. But have a think about why that patient's temperature is increasing. Why is their tidal volumes going down? Why is their respiratory rate going up? Is it because of pain? Is it because of a multitude of different reasons for any sort of example? Um, but then also you've got your peak pressure alarms, um, which is something you may not have ever heard before. But Peak pressure is, um, a lot of the times my peak pressure alarms will go off is because of mucus plugging. The patient could be cough, 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 which is then setting off the peak pressure alarm. And what happens when the peak pressure alarm goes off on a ventilator is that it cuts off because peak pressure is basically saying that there is too much pressure being delivered uh, to the patient. So the ventilator basically says, nope, I'm not going to give that breath that was meant to be given. I'm going to dump that breath. Now that means that the patient is not being delivered an oxygen, like oxygen or being delivered a breath. So the patient's not being oxygenated <laughs> and delivered any oxygen. So uh, not good. <laughs> um, so there's a reason why you're setting the, the peak pressure line. And usually we're setting it uh, around the same sort of mark as well. Um, sometimes we have to ele- elevate it for some patients but mostly the peak pressure is kept around the same and you've got to think about why the patient is suddenly starting to peak pressure and a lot of the time it's because they need a suction and there's just too much um, secretions within within the patient um, they're the main sort of alarm and then also I'm looking at the apnea settings so if my patient were to suddenly stop breathing I want, and i usually set it around so the so apnea will uh so the a backup rate will being then start to delivered if the patient doesn't breathe for a set period of time. So usually we set it around twenty seconds uh, and then it goes back to a default mode. So maybe it will start being uh after 20 seconds or kick back into this default backup mode which will deliver 500 mils per breath at a rate of 16 breaths per minute so it gets delivered back into a mode Um, so that's always a safety feature you need to ensure that it's set accordingly to your patient as well so continuing with my ventilator settings i'm also looking at what they're currently on as well so i'm looking at uh, the peep the pressure support as well as the fio2 Uh, at this point we're not setting them per se but it's just keeping in the back of our mind what they're currently on uh, and then having to think uh, from the previous nurse giving you handover about what they were on before if they needed to change it Um, but that's going to be the same as okay I've finished my event settings now I've gone over back over to my lines for my patient now, as I've already mentioned, I've looked at the, what sort of medications are going in, but I'm also checking where those lines are connecting to. Now, a lot of the time we give medications through a central line. I'll talk about that in another episode fairly shortly, but a central line... Um has different lumens on the end of them so I'm making sure that the lines going from the medication through the pump are going and what knowing what lumen uh, that medication is going into now some medications are not compatible so I'm looking at making sure that the what lumen they're going into but also looking at if multiple drugs are going into the same lumen I'm making sure that those medications are supposed to be going with one another and checking to see if there are any spare lumens. Because if I have spare lumens in the intensive care unit, we need to aspirate and flush those lumens every few hours to make sure that they don't clot and become not usable. Uh, so we need to make sure that they're patent. Um, so anyway, so that's, that's always a start with them. But also making sure that the lines that are connecting to the central line are within date, and are within yeah, normal dates. So some... Um, some medications and their lines need to be changed every 24 hours, such as propovol and insulin. Um, so I'm making sure, uh, looking at when the propovol, insulin, ketamine, any of these medications uh, were last hung, because uh, I need to make sure that they're um, going to be changed uh, every every 24 hours. Um, and then looking at that as well, so I've looked at the, the lines as well, but I'm also looking at... Um, the endotracheal tube um, and and looking at how far in that tube is so if it's constantly been documented at 24 centimeters to the lips and I look at it and it's currently at 24 centimeters to the lips I've just confirmed that it was where it was since the last nurse documented it And, and I always know at the back of my mind for the duration of my shift of knowing where that endotracheal tube is supposed to be. Because you know, when you're moving it before your mouth cares and turning the patient, it's important to know if that endotracheal tube has been dislodged or not because otherwise it can classify and, and start turning into airway emergencies. Um, and also looking down at my catheter of, of the patient and looking at uh, what size catheter it is and just looking at the position um, there you go, guys. That's my safety checks for you. Um, it's important just to take a step back at that point as well, have a look at the scene one more time, making sure everything looks like it's safe to enter, uh, and then that's when I get into my formalised head-to-toe assessment for my patient. But I hope you found this uh, episode to be of interest and, and valuable to you guys. Uh, again, I can't stress the importance enough of, number one, to make sure that you're performing your safety checks Uh, in the same way every single time to make it uh, autonomous, so you don't miss anything at all. Uh, Because the whole point of the safety checks is to make sure that you know that everything is as it should be. And if you were to need something in an emergency situation, you know that it's there and that it is usable uh, and ready to be used in that moment. Uh, And also, second takeaway point is gonna be making sure that your alarm settings are set within not only normal limits, Um, for your patient what is safe for your patient but the whole point of your ventilator settings and your uh, any settings (laughs) is to to make sure that uh, because at the end of the day it's trying to alarm you that something is outside of normal so not just silencing it or or turning it and modifying it but making sure you're having always critically thinking about why that may be set off and then possibly doing something about that so i hope you guys have enjoyed this episode and i can't wait to talk to you next time